Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. Welcome to episode 68, a very special episode where we will be talking with Cassidy, Laura, Matt, Carrie, and Sean about the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. So this is another in line with our special Play Party episode series, and this one is going to be specifically on kink at play parties. Can you quickly introduce yourself? Hi, I am Sean. Um, I have been in the poly community for about four or so years and the kink community for about two to three. Time gets fuzzy these days. Um, and I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me, you guys. My name's Carrie. I've been in the Milwaukee Poly community, ethical non-monogamy community for about three, three and a half years. And exploring kink pretty much parallel to that at my own leisurely pace. So probably about two and a half, three years as well. Hey, I'm Matt. <laughs> I've been in the Poly community for about three years now. Yeah, I think it's Almost exactly three years. And I guess been in the play party community for most, uh, all of that. Uh, it'd be two and a half years, I guess. I remember my first one, but I guess the, the kink has always been kind of part of it, whether it's been in the play party community or not. So I'm pretty sure I met you and you were dressed up in a Star Trek outfit at a party. So <laughs> I was thinking yeah, the, the same thing. <laughs> so it was probably the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. That was the beginning. <laughs> Which he borrowed from his mother. Oh, <laughs> I don't know why he borrowed Yeesh. it. <laughs> I actually don't remember the costume part of meeting you. I remember yeah, she was very, very you and being like, give me that. Yeah, she was very excited to give me that shirt to wear to the costume party. <laughs> Laura, do you want to go next? Sure. Uh, I'm Laura. I've been in the poly community for, uh, I think, about five years now. And um, involved in the uh, kink scene and community for quite a bit longer. I, I've been making BDSM gear for the tool shed for well over a decade now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. God. And the very first underbed restraint system I made was when I was 20. And it was made out of chain and I used fabric as the, as the ties. And it was loud and clunky. And the ones that I make now are so much better and more discreet. But... Um, I digress. I'm more active in cons and events in the BDSM community in the last several years. Cassidy. Uh, my name is Cassidy, and I've been in the poly group uh, and community for two years now. I was always interested in kink, but I never took the time to learn, to explore, to try until coronavirus, when all of a sudden I had lots of time and uh, would meet very individual specific partners for that purpose to avoid having a lot of contact with a lot of people. Cool. And something I wanted to just bring up first and foremost is what is the difference between a basic play party and a basic dungeon scene? Because they're not the same, but there is a lot of overlap. And if someone would like to enlighten our audience on what is the difference? I was, I've actually been doing, I don't know, kind of a lot of thinking about this because I started out with just play parties and then moved on to the dungeon stuff. And even then going to a dungeon for the first time was a bit of a shock for me. It was a bit overwhelming because it is, it's different. Um, play parties, I find not 
not only less intimidating because they're a lot more intimate, I feel like. Um, all of the play parties I've been at, it's kind of been, I generally know who's going to be there. I'm generally used to the people around and they tend to be a lot smaller. Um, and it's not kink centric. Like it, it can be the way I usually describe play parties to people is like, well, we're just a bunch of friends that get together and being naked and getting weird is totally optional. Uh, and I, I really like that because if you want to show up and hang out at a play party and just chat, whatever, you can. <clears throat> Not to say you can't at dungeons, but it's a little bit harder. It's it's almost the difference between going to like a house party versus like a, a big club or something. At least that's, I think, the most basic way I can explain it. Sean has some really good points and I'm going to build on definitely one of them about the, like the crowd size, but I would say that there can be a lot of overlap between play parties and uh, like a dungeon or particularly a, a BDSM centered party, but not necessarily the overlap can be there, but not always because BDSM slash kink, which is very uh, broad can include definitely sensuality and sex or sexual acts, but not all the time. Um, and, and play parties are generally more, you know, very much focused on uh, physical intimacy, either with somebody that you came with or someone that is there or et cetera, et cetera. Um, somebody that you hope to come with. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> and, um, and so, the social aspect is definitely a little bit different in my experience as well, as um, like Sean mentioned, in that while there is an aspect of um, giving people, you know, space and privacy and, and not being like too loud and chatty next to them if they're like, um, you know, doing sexy times at a play party, it's, it's generally a little bit more structured and I'm going to say strict but it's just really frowned upon to be loud and chatty next to someone doing a scene in a dungeon or at a specific kink event. And so there's really not socializing in a dungeon unless you are, unless it's big enough. Like if you're at a con and it's a ballroom and you can actually be a solid, you know, 12 feet away from what's going on around you and you can then, you know, talk quietly. But um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot more regulations and rules um, in and maybe that just kind of makes sense in that in the, a kink space, because a lot of kink has a lot of like rules and order, uh, whereas play parties are maybe a little bit more free form. Um, but I feel like there are often a lot of rules and restrictions because it's a public space as well. Like some dungeons don't allow sex. And that's a very common rule. And something that I didn't know when I first started looking into dungeons is that like, this is a kink space and kink doesn't always mean sex. And so because of laws and because it's a public space that you're paying a entry fee to get inside of, there are like prostitution and brothel laws against having sex and money being involved. Uh, and so that's a big difference. I was very surprised at one play party I went to that was hosted by like a club. They called it a play party. We showed up and it was not what I'm used to as a play party. It was... All, you know, street legal, just very above board play. No, like, like toys and stuff, but not like sexual play. 
Oh. And I was not quite prepared for that because I'm used to play party and dungeon kind of being one thing because I'm used to the really big ones. And I went to a smaller one and I was like, oh, <laughs> so read the rules and expectations of a place you go, I guess. And be on the uh, be, be on the alert if they actually don't have any posted. <laughs> yeah, right, that might be a red flag. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly if it's any kind of public or quasi public event. Mm-hmm. I mean, rules posted for a house party is sort of a different animal. I kind of wanted to circle back about voyeurism because I think, again, they're different often at, at dungeons versus play parties. Um, sometimes at big dungeon spaces, voyeurism is expected. You know, gathering a crowd is almost like the object or goal of your 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 event. Uh, and so asking for consent to be a voyeur um, might actually disrupt the scene and might actually be uh, something that that is unwanted. Whereas at a small play play party gathering, being a voyeur is also kind of participation. And so if you're in a small room and someone is having sex in that room and you go and just watch, you're now part of their scene. You're now like a guest in their sex, you know? And so that needs consent. And so I was kind of wondering how y'all thought about like blanket consent in dungeon spaces or king spaces. Well, I think that's another time when the space and the size of the crowd comes into play. Um, If you are in a dungeon and you are close enough to me and my scene to be hit by my implement, Mm. you are close. Yeah. So you could be um, watching the scene and, uh, you know, 10, 12 feet back. And that's kind of acceptable. Um, One of the cons that I go to um, has an intimate room and they actually have a bunch of um, mattresses set up and then they have chairs lining the walls and you can be like three feet away, but it is set up specifically for that. And the, and the proximity is, is the key in that situation. And at a play party in a private home, you're probably not going to have enough space to be 10, 15 feet away from somebody in one room. I think the biggest thing that popped out to me that I hadn't thought of before this until you said it, Lindsay, was interrupting a scene. Like that is one of the biggest no-nos at a dungeon. Like you, if someone, if it even like vaguely feels like someone might be in a scene, you don't interrupt them. But every play party I've been to, yeah, if you want to watch, like generally, no matter what's going on, if you want to hang out and watch or as long as you're polite, I've never had someone like get upset about being like, hey, is it is it okay if I chill and and watch? Like it's it's expected for you to ask, whereas a dungeon, it's a huge faux pas. I think a lot in analogies is like. If you're into movies, it's like the difference between going to a film festival versus having friends over to watch movie or a house. Like at a dungeon, a lot there's a lot of well, it seems like a lot more preparation in advance, and maybe even you have a lot more ideas about scenes that you're going to have, or you know you're bringing certain things to sort of follow through with a pre-planned scene, maybe. Or and there's a lot of structured scenes going on. Whereas in the same with the film festival, you decide in advance what you're going to go see and you're going to see that specific thing and maybe a couple different things. But if you have people over your house for a movie, it's like, oh, you know, you can get up and go in the kitchen and come back and talk while you're doing it or whatever. And you can decide to change your mind about what movie you see, like at the last minute. But and like at a play party, you can kind of go and go with the flow and be a little more spontaneous and 
you know, maybe you'll do something, maybe you won't, maybe you'll watch something, maybe you won't. Um, but it's a little bit less structured than you would think going maybe to. Maybe you'll just hang out at the cheese board. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I do sometimes. <laughs> My king gets snacks. Yes. <laughs> I feel like there, there can be a lot of like established performances at a kink space, whereas again, there might not be as much planning or preparation involved at a regular play party. And I think because if you're considering something that you're going to go view as a performance, one, you don't want to interrupt, and two, it's there specifically for, I guess, quote unquote, entertainment purposes. I don't know if I want to call kink entertainment because that's voyeurism, a little weird maybe space. Maybe for voyeurism. Yeah. Certainly, I'd say exhibitionism can be an aspect of the appeal of going and doing a scene in a dungeon around other people. Um, but I also don't assume that me being there adds anything for their scene. Mm-hmm. So I think definitely it's like it's them in their world and their um, their focus is, is between them. Totally. Wrong, depending on how many people are there. <laughs> Something that I have had um, someone brought up to me because I went to a kink focused kink themed play party was that to be cognizant of triggering other guests at the party. So the sound of someone being struck or like flogging or just impact play in general might be the cause of someone else's anxiety or someone like yelping out in pain might cause someone else uh, to have like that panic fight or flight moment. And I guess what I was wondering is, is how do you anticipate or alleviate some of those uh, potential issues? I think like with play parties in particular, because they're, so much smaller and you often do in my experience know most of the people but more so we usually it's small enough that we do an introduction in the beginning and so and maybe I just picked this up from the very first play party I ever ever went to was that a few people had come with particular toys or particular uh, tools and they offered them up or offered to share them or teach about them and so it was sort of kind of, it, it kind of in a way facilitated this sort of grouping out of like, oh, this person is, you know, has, has like the violet wand and wants to show it to people. And this is where I, he would, he just said like, I will go into this room and anybody who's interested, or I noticed that you were interested, I'll be doing this over here. And so I think just the smallness of it um, facilitates a lot more intimate communication and it feels a lot more comfortable from my experience. Um, so I feel like you get sort of a sense of where the party is going to go and what's going to happen or not happen in the beginning. And then it just has a sort of very slow evolving nature as people move around and stuff. And it seems like it's safe to navigate and comfortable to communicate. And I think adding on to that, you know, as new people come into a community or are invited to event, you know, maybe there's a new partner that somebody wants to bring, making sure that they understand this kind of play is acceptable in this community. And if it's something that you're going to be really uncomfortable with, you know, we should talk about whether it's the right event or not. And, you know, really just make sure that expectations or potential, not expectations exactly, but the potential of seeing and encountering these kinds of events is a possibility or structuring events and saying, Hey, you know what, in this particular space, we're actually not going to have any of 
any kink play. We're going to make this just a sex oriented, sensual oriented party. I think another thing too, in addition to the parties being so small and being able to have an introduction in the beginning is that because the parties, most of the parties that I've gone to have been within an established community. We often also have a lot of discussion leading up to it. Like, and I forgot about a lot of this because we haven't done them in so long because of COVID, but you know, we have a, a, a platform for communication and we have a specific page set up for that specific event. And so only the people that are going are in it. So you pretty much know who's going to be there. You can start to be a little suggestive in advance of like, oh, I got this new flogger and I'm thinking about bringing it. And, oh, I, I learned about this at the last party and now I have one of my own and, you know, I'm excited to use it. And so you get a lot of that sort of building up the sense of you know, like I said, like how the party's going to shape out and how it's going to evolve even before it happens. I would, I would definitely agree. Advanced communication and um, in in a situation like like Sean and Carrie have talked about, where it's a smaller community and you're very familiar with either you know the people going or the types of parties. That's one thing, but I would say communication is definitely top all because somebody says, "Yeah, I'm having this play party and it's kink friendly." I mean, kink is a huge blanket term. Some people are kinky over feet or latex uh, clothing or, you know, are they talking about um, doing decorative ties and rope? Um, The average reasonable person in kink is not going to assume, I'm saying for the sake of argument, that anything like um, wax play or fire or blood play is going to be an automatic at a kink party because that's, you know, a lot of mess and that's somebody's home or, you know, a a location, but there is a huge range. I mean, when you go from like, are they talking about whipped cream or are they talking about um, floggers or um, spanking? And because yeah, a lot of people can be triggered by impact play, you know, depending on past experiences or traumas and, you just want to be really aware of that. Um, like Carrie was saying, sometimes more impactful uh, play can be uh, relegated to a separate space, a different room, so that people have the choice to be exposed to it or not. And sometimes you just be proactive and check with the organizer and be like, so I was going to bring this, uh, this lovely scratchy glove that I have, and I was going to bring this flogger that I just got, and, you know, what kind of kink are are generally people expecting. So it all comes down to communication. I was actually, I love that you covered that because I was going to kind of say, not not that common sense is as common as we think it is, but I mean, you're, you're going to a play party, not a dungeon. And I think as, as kinksters, the, the burden of consent kind of falls on us and to not assume that a play party, even if it's generally kink friendly, like, Sure, there are some kinks that are very well known. I, most play parties I've been to, impact is fine, electricity is fine. I can't foresee something like, you know, a kidnapping scene going on. And I really hope people in the kink community know better than that. But all, all of the play parties and stuff I have been to, everyone is very communicative. And so if there is a place like, a Facebook group or a something or other to discuss, honestly, just throw it out there. Be like, Hey, is this a place where I can X, Y, Z? And you'll, you'll probably get honest answers. Uh, And yeah, some people are triggered by strange things. So just throwing it out there 
is sometimes not bad mentioning it, mentioning it in the welcome circle or yeah, a little, a little being a little proactive can go a long way. And I think making sure too, that there is some space that isn't going to be kinky, you know, even if it's just like, usually there's a no sex in the kitchen or no, you know, scenes in the kitchen kind of rule. Ideally, maybe you even have another space that is a little bit quieter and more intimate instead of the sort of conversational bright light space of a kitchen where people can decompress or where people can go if they find themselves having unexpectedly been triggered by something that they see because you don't always know how you or someone else is going to react to something is if you have the space for it, I think a very thoughtful plan yeah, a vanilla space. I think that that is kind of important to have a or a safe space to go to, to if you're feeling overwhelmed. I also think it's really good to kind of think about what might trigger you. You know, in I think a lot of folks will be like, I have no triggers. I have no I have no hard limits. That's such a, you know, like a newbie thing to say in the kink community is I, I, anything goes. And then you actually start looking and seeing things in the kink community and you're like, Oh, nope, that's not for me. Okay. That's not going to happen. Uh, I know, I mean, personally, if I I'm a hundred percent okay with seeing a butt being smacked, but if I see someone getting smacked in the face, I have some feelings, you know, like I'm like, Oh, I didn't like that. Oh no, I don't like seeing that. And so, uh, if I, if I know impact play is going to happen, I might have to either ask or, or just be conscious of the fact that like, well, maybe the impact play I'm okay with will happen, but maybe the impact play that I makes me uncomfortable might also happen. I should know that going in. That's a really great point that uh, I think every community kind of falls into the, we have our own language. And so maybe when we say to each other, oh, hey, is impact okay? Maybe most of us have the thought of like, oh, you know, impact being a lot of different things. Versus where someone not in the kink community may think impact just being flogging or something. And that can be a bad miscommunication. There's a world of kink. Right. <laughs> and it is hard to say and anticipate like, okay, of the 400 kinks that exist, these are the ones that are going to happen at this party. So, you know, I think anyone going into a space where kink is on the table has to kind of have that in their mind going into it that like, the unex- expect the unexpected because things are happening that you probably don't even know about. You might not even know that that kink exists yet, you know, like <laughs> things like that, things will happen. Yeah. And, um, and I, I feel like most people who have been in the kink scene, most, most kinksters who have been, you know, uh, around in it for a year or two or more, um, have a feeling, have an understanding of what is generally a little bit more extreme and are not going to make assumptions like that. Going back to that common sense thing, but generally speaking. I think one thing too, like, um, cause I think in any space you usually have a range of experience levels and there's always going to be people with more experience and people with less experience, which is one of the things that I love about it because, um, play parties are, have, for me have been such a great space for learning about new kinks that I, they maybe didn't know bef- about before, or you were curious about, but you you don't really know how to set about doing it. It's kind of like if you're, like I said, I speak in analogies all the time. If you want to like try kayaking, it's easier if you know somebody who's like, hey, you can borrow my kayak and like take it around than to like go buy like a $300 kayak, but you can go into a kink space and maybe things like 
fire play or things like that. Like, are you going to go buy a fire kit and just try it out by yourself at home? Like probably not the best idea, but some people have had the opportunity to go to cons and then they bring that information back and they're excited to share it. So it's a place where you can learn about new things. It's a place I've had both experience where I've learned about things and then I took it up and got to teach it to other people, which is one of my favorite things to do ever. And, um, and it's just a comfortable space and you can just watch and observe and, or you can try it out or you can top and you can bottom. And for me, that has been one of the, the biggest benefits to play parties is because there is such a diversity of people with a lot of different interests, a lot of different comfort levels, a lot of different experience levels. And like, you can just talk shop about things that might be a little bit more taboo or things that you may never know about people you work with or people that, you know, that you may never be able to learn from their experience like that. So. And I think sort of parallel to that, going to a convention or a dungeon or, you know, some other kind of more dedicated kink space, um, you may find the opportunity to see or be exposed to things that are a little more extreme for the average house party. Um, and if there are things that, you know, you might be sensitive to, you, you know, like you can make choices. So, for example, I think medical play is often done in an enclosed or somewhat enclosed space because it is something that some people really enjoy and other people find really stressful or needle play or think, you know, things like that that might be, you know, maybe in the don't try this at home, at least not for your very first try um, category, but have an opportunity, you know, again. And if you're choosing to go into that space, you know that you might see things that make you uncomfortable or you can make choices to avoid them. I have a needle phobia. So when I was at a kink space that was a public space that said, hey, we're going to have this happening in this room, like, I knew if I was even going to walk down that hallway, I need to keep my eyes focused over there because I would not be good with that. But if it's all very clearly communicated, I'm free to make choices that work for me. And other people are also free to make choices that work for them. Kind of on, on that same line, if you are someone who is triggered by things, uh, no matter what they are, have a backup plan. Um, I have been to events where... You know, again, common sense is not as common as you would think it is. Someone got excited and started showing me pictures of something and hadn't forewarned me what they were pictures of. And I lost it uh, because I can't take needleplay either. And it was very extreme and I super triggered. Um, safe words are very good for many uses rather than just play. If, if you need to take some time or take some space um, there are plenty of resources online about like having writing down a plan if you're triggered, if you're going with someone, or if you know there's a play party monitor or dungeon monitor, whatever it is, feel free to approach them um, or the person you're with and be like, hey, these are some common triggers. Here's my like backup plan. Here's my safe word if it's something other than the usual. Just be ready just in case because... You never know. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of like equipment and things like toys and, and, and things used in different scenes, I think that both at play parties and at dungeon spaces, there is something to be said for like touching or using other people's stuff. 
that needs explicit consent, but then also um, like sanitation is an important aspect, especially when bodily fluids or maybe even blood are involved. Uh, and so I guess I was looking if you guys had any advice of like, how do spaces go about having safe equipment share? Because it is so nice to be able to, to experiment and use other people's things so that you know if you want to spend a 70 to $300 on a new toy. Well, I can speak to the, uh, the dungeon space. Um, it's, you, you don't touch anything that doesn't belong to you as far as um, implements, tools, toys, um, as far as dungeon furniture, if it is textile, you should put something down before you sit on it. Um, you know, if it's not like an easily washable surface, surface like a uh, pleather or something. Um, and every dungeon that I've been to has uh, cleaning supplies. So when you are done with a table or uh, a cross, um, it's expected that you spray it down, wait a minute, and then wipe it down just uh, common courtesy. I like to say, pretend like you're in a gym. Yeah. I feel like we've all gotten a little bit better at that with COVID, but <laughs> it was a, it was a very common thing before COVID when it came to these spaces. Well, I have a question uh, from a person who hasn't had the opportunity yet to do any play parties or to go to the dungeons because I got into kink during COVID. So I plan on hosting and I have furniture that has upholstery, right? What do I do? Do I put down uh, sheets over all the upholstered furniture for, for people to use? Most things that I've been at usually have, you can ask people to bring their own towels or you can provide towels. Um, one of the kinky college, the big convention, they have, I mean, it's at a hotel, so clearly it's different, but uh, they will have giant bins full of towels. And then on the other side of the hall, they'll have giant bins full of used towels. So just, I mean, not that this is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but towels are useful. <laughs> um, I think that uh, some of the parties that I've been to also people tend to cover um, upholstered furniture with like fleece blankets and other kinds of easily thrown in the washing machine coverings. I think that goes back to that whole play party thing. If you're planning on hosting a play party at your house, I mean, you know, it's a lot more intimate and communication is a whole lot easier within the group of people that, you know, are coming to the play party. You can say, simply say something like, Hey, bring your, bring towels, or, you know, I don't have enough towels, bring towels. I know that in our bag of toys or, or kink or whatever, you know, we always have at least three or four towels. And I know some people will ask to bring that, you know, like we don't have that many beds, bring an air mattress if you have one. And then if you bring an air mattress, please bring a fitted sheet to go on that air mattress yeah, or something, right. you know, it's sometimes a cooperative effort to host a party. <laughs> yeah. And I think another thing as far as toys go, you know, at play parties is, you know, it is, it is a lot more intimate you see somebody and you talk about it in the welcome circle. Hey, I brought this toy. If you want to see this toy, if you want to learn about this toy, come into this room. If you want to use this toy, feel free. You know, a lot of people will say things like that. You'll have maybe an area where there are a bunch of toys and you can just kind of grab it and, you know, people will know, Hey, you know, obviously be, you know, clean this when you're done with it, use a condom on this toy uh, is a big thing. We went to uh, a dungeon play party. So it was a play party in a dungeon and there must've been like a hundred toys on this table. It was bananas. Um, but Were I mean, there bananas? <laughs> I think there was a couple of banana shaped things. <laughs> Good enough. Good enough. <laughs> 
I don't think there, there was, was a kitchen thing. sink. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Everything bought. You're not supposed to have sex on those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was up, though. But it was yeah, it, like, it, it I, was, yeah. yeah. I think that too, the, it's those early experiences are, can be really formative, which is why I think when you're in a small community where you know there's this span and you, and you communicate things really clearly up front, I think that's just kind of established as the norm. Because I think back to some of my first experiences and people did such a great job of communicating in advance and you go and they're like, this is the table for things you can share. This is how you go about doing it. This is what you should do with it when you're done. This is kind of how we want this night to go. Be respectful of this. This is where you can find that. And then when you have those experiences and your early experiences, you just think that's how you do it. And so I think it's great that you kind of pass that down as new people come in um, because then you just like that. You assume that that's how it goes and that's your standard. Speaking of though, I have heard of folks, especially in, big dungeon get togethers having stuff stolen and i feel like if you have say a grouping of eight to ten folks that are all your close friends you can leave stuff on a table and you generally feel pretty secure that people aren't going to take your stuff and go home with it but in a in a big space i know that like theft is an issue sometimes or even just getting stuff lost i know i i listened to another podcast where they're talking about uh, oh, I lost my like Enjoy Pure Wand, which is a kind of like expensive stainless steel, nice toy. And then later they found it in a to-go bag in the back of their car. And they were like, oh no. And they bought, an- they bought another one and everything. They were like, oh, someone must have stolen it. It sucks so much. And then they found it in their trunk and they were like, oh, that was on me. Uh, but you know, like, so I-, I wonder how bigger events deal with theft or security or like prevent- preventing stuff like that be- getting uh, lost or stolen. Not to answer that question, but I just, I know after every single party, there's always a, a picture <laughs> sent out of like all of everything left behind. behind. There's like, here's a pair of red sunglasses, some lifeguard shorts, a flogger, and uh, an enjoy. Like one shoe, three pair of underwear, and a jacket. <laughs> Who left without their jacket on? Yeah, <laughs> always. Like every time. And then then you arrange the like, I'm going to leave it on my porch, come pick it up. And. <laughs> But yeah, with a larger event, that I imagine that would be exponentially more difficult. So, so this is interesting. In all of the uh, you know larger conventions and and individual dungeons in different cities that I've been to, I've never experienced or or heard about uh, theft. I mean. I've, I've seen people do the rude thing of, you know, leaving all their crap at the base of the cross and it's just sitting there and you're like, people would like to use this and yet things don't disappear. Um, personally, you know, if I'm not actively using it, I put it back in my bag because um, that's polite, right? But um, I mean, people reinforce at the beginning of um, conventions, certainly, that, you know, you don't touch things that don't belong to you. We learned that in kindergarten. Um, but I haven't heard of, I haven't really heard of issues, which is kind of um, surprising, I guess, but also impressive. And I think speaks to the attitudes that a lot of people um, who take the time out to become a member of a dungeon or go to this big convention, kind of like their frame of mind and their attitude that they have about um, this pastime, this lifestyle. I'm starting um, to play parties so much more. It's like, as we talk about them, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> as much. As the I have actually not had a problem at dungeons either. 
Um, I don't, and I have some expensive, yeah, I think we both have some very expensive stuff. And I've, I mean, honestly, just asking someone to keep an eye on something is a really great way because psychology shows that if you ask someone to like do a favor for you, they're number one, more likely to like you. And number two, they are much less likely to actually do anything shady. Uh, that's why Walmart has their greeters. Cause as soon as someone says hello to you, you're much less likely to shoplift. So just by asking maybe the people around your stuff, Hey, can you keep an eye on this for me? You're, using psychology, much less likely that any of them are, number one, going to do it themselves, but also, number two, they're going to look after your stuff for you because King Community is pretty cool. Most of us, at least, I think, I hope. Uh, so, yeah, I've luckily never had a problem with that either, but... Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the King Community is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think that you see a whole lot of that, especially uh, even in the larger groups i mean the king community is kind of based around communication and consent and you know these things and you know there's a lot of respect for whatever somebody is doing even if it's something that you've never seen before um you know so to i don't know get the idea that oh that's a really cool toy and i can't wait till they put it down so i can steal it <laughs> is i <laughs> i don't think the first thought in anyone's mind that there's a lot of respect and communication and um that goes a long way in the community which is great all right we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back in more polyamory uncensored content you're in luck we just started a blog polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com we're going to be showcasing stuff like episode breakdowns polyamory and ethical non-monogamy related book reviews and guest posts from authors like you if you'd like to be a guest author contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com and you might be able to see your work up on our website Again, that's polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com, and we're going to have some fun, new, poly-related content for you. Thanks. See you there. All right, we are back. And something that I really wanted to bring up on hosting your own like kinky play party is what will that look like, or what do you want it to look like? What have your experiences been that have been positive ones? Please share. Oh, <laughs> so I, I got this fantastic uh, Airbnb and um, uh, a group of uh, good friends and people that I had had, um, you know, uh, either parallel or interactive experiences with at play parties before. And so um, comfort levels and, and things like that were very well known among this group. And so to prepare for the party, um, there are plenty of um, common spaces. I put out um, toys, you know, like really ranged, like <laughs> um, I made sure that there was um, beverages, non-alcoholic available, because I know everybody's going to bring, you know, whatever they're uh, wanting. Uh, I made sure that there were snacks because you know, might need a little energy. And I had a plan for, um, you know, like kind of like breaking in uh, the activity portion of the night, you know, just to make sure that everyone's comfortable. It's important to pay attention to the environment. You want to make sure that it's, it's um, comfortable, pay attention to sound, lighting. I guess that goes for any party really, but um, if it is smaller and if it is 
you know, a hosting situation, you can um, make things a little bit more tailored to your group. You could have, um, you can have videos going, you could, um, yeah, like have implements and toys and, you know, ideas you could do, you can find uh, like BDSM party games. If you look online, break the ice. And we were talking during the break about um, the house layout and providing information in advance or the space layout in advance for people, particularly people with any sort of anxiety or PTSD so that they know what the space is like, what each room is like, including like where doorways are and um, where the sex-free spaces are. And it's good to communicate that, you know, obviously at the event itself, but if there's an opportunity to do it in advance, I, I know for people, it's really helpful who want to feel as comfortable as it's possible to feel. If you can remove any discomfort or uncertainty in advance, it just makes it easier because there's always an element of nervousness and not knowing how to get started or maybe awkwardness, particularly a lot of the people that we all know, you all have an element of sort of like social awkwardness that binds us together. <laughs> and like, But anything that you can remove, any sort of questions that you can anticipate in advance and an answer, people are just going to be that much more comfortable when they come in, um, which is what you really want, of course. Yeah, having a little even drawn out on a piece of paper layout or blueprint of the space and being like, hey, so this kitchen area, no sex allowed. This bathroom area, no sex allowed. And then this space is going to be the like space that uh, there is also no play or scenes allowed, but just socializing, calm zone or whatever. And then being able to even have levels of kink involved and saying, you know, this room is going to have a St. Andrew's cross and lots of impact play and a spanking bench or something like that. You know, having that written out is, would be amazing. It's definitely not, you, that is the kind of thing that you could go over in like a house tour or a space tour during a welcome circle or at the beginning of a party. Uh, but having it beforehand is ideal. Definitely. So I have a question regarding uh, more specifically kink and having prearranged or pre pre ideas on what kink scenes might occur. Is there ever situations where you're like, okay, this room over here is open. It, this is for like people who want to do kink scenes, whether they want voyeur or not voyeur. And then in the pre-discussion, perhaps in the, you know, in the Facebook group or whatever, is there a certain time you want to do a kink? And then we'll make sure that, that room is available for you at 830. And how long do you think it's going to take? Whatever you're going to do. Does that ever occur? I know some like limits, like you'll say in a certain room, there's a kind of rules about like this room, the door should be open all the time because it's for everybody. And this room is available if you want to have a little bit more intimacy. If you want intimacy, make sure you shut the door. And for courtesy, limit your time to 30 minutes just so you know something's always available. Or going to be available. Yeah. I've seen like timeline stuff like that more at dungeons. I don't, I've seen it maybe once or twice at play parties I've been to. I think most play parties I've been to, they just don't have, as long um dungeons i've been to tend to be like longer events play parties i are a little more compact i guess so trying to break it out into like time frames i can see being a little complicated um not necessarily not doable but yeah if you have a, a room that you wanted to set aside just for scenes i mean you could just as easily as just on a sheet of paper outside that door say sign up for a half hour if you want to reserve the room for for a scene. 
So one thing that I do know that I have seen um, like a sign up sheet for was a hot tub because (laughs) there was only, you could only have like four to six people at most in this kind of small hot tub and kind of everyone wanted to be in it at some point. And so we had to schedule, okay, so you get it from eight to eight 30, please leave and then go shower and come, you know, whatever uh, shower before you get in. And, uh, and so there was actually a sign up sign up sheet. I don't know if it was necessarily fully followed, but it was like, at least it was there to kind of like get you in your brain (laughs) that like, there's, there are, there's a problem here if, if there's too many people in the hot tub. So please be careful or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Because you, all the water gets filled out and then there's no more water left. for Not that we would know from experience. I may have been on the violating (laughs) side of that. (laughs) (laughs) So if there, there's special circumstances sometimes when you really should have like a schedule, but I don't think most play parties have an agenda or a schedule. I know that one time somebody was really interested in demonstrating something pumping, I believe. And, and they, um, it was something that they needed to kind of know that there was enough interest in advance in order to be prepared for themselves to do it. And then of course you want to communicate because if, you know, it's just like you feel the room and once people break out and get involved in scenes, it's kind of hard to get everybody back together. So sometimes it's like, And I think they did it at two different parties and kind of felt it out. But usually that's small enough. I think that if you set up that very comfortable open communication space, like you put it out there, you want to see if it's worth, you know, demonstrating for people because it's something that you're excited about, but you're also nervous about. And then I think the first time they said they kind of took some time and, and went around like, they're like, you said you were interested and you said you're interested. Or they asked in advance of like, I want to know specifically who's interested because I'd like to limit it to four people for my own comfort. Um, so just so you know, I will come and like, let you know when I'm doing it, it'll probably be around this time. So I, I've seen people do it, but generally you just kind of read the room and like read the group and for the person presenting it or doing the demonstration for themselves, they kind of have to define like what they're comfortable with or what they need, but also then Um, But there was a lot of communication back and forth. And then they did it again. And it was like, based on last time, I'm going to do it this way instead. So, and again, it's in a community. So you have that ongoing relationship as well. That is a huge benefit, I think. Something I have seen with a big, like it was a resort takeover. So it was a, a ton of people, a ton of space was they put up like kink wants or like things that they wanted to get into on post-its up on, uh, a, a wall essentially it was like a glass wall in the like outdoor lobby area and these post-its said things like i want to be involved in a threesome please contact me name or phone number or whatever something like that i want to um enjoy a certain kind of toy here's my number here's my name get a hold of me and so there were not scheduled events but there were like ideas thrown up that people could contact other folks at this. And it was again, a week long uh, resort takeover. So it was a lot of time. It wasn't one party, but I could see that happening at a party. If someone wanted to kind of like just jot up an idea, throw out an idea, maybe written, maybe at the welcome circle or maybe like throughout the evening be like, Hey, I just, I just came up with this idea. Does anyone want to take part in a six person orgy, you know, or something, you know? (laughs) And so (laughs) I could see people being like, you know, at 10 PM, Here's an idea. Let's do this. I've definitely seen that uh, post-it idea at conventions and stuff. I've also seen it kind of going back to the discussion of if there's a Facebook group. I've seen it on the Facebook group beforehand, too, of someone, you know, some some places will start 
a thread of, hey, if you're looking for partners or looking for a specific thing, comment on here and y'all can interact and discuss and negotiate and do everything before the actual event, um, which I think is fantastic. We were talking about things you would bring to a party uh, beforehand. And we were talking about like alcohol uh, and, and if you should allow, especially if you're hosting alcohol or drug use at a party. And honestly, I would say that it's, it's kind of like the, the host's choice. Usually I have definitely been to spaces where no alcohol or drug use was allowed and spaces where there was constant alcohol and drug use, you know? So, um, so I, I always think it really comes down to the, the person who is actually the owner or or renter of the play space and, and what they are comfortable with. Cause oftentimes too much of anything can end up in a, in a problem or, or an issue sometimes not. And again, we kind of live in an area where, uh, alcohol use is the norm. So it's not even, it's expected. Uh, so saying no alcohol at a party might actually make your guest list go down, uh, <laughs> which is interesting and weird. But in some spaces, like I know I've heard of folks in uh, California or in different areas of, of the world saying like, oh yeah, no, no alcohol at, at parties is is the norm. That's, it's just expected. And I'm like, well, that's strange. <laughs> this is another area where I think clear communication is so important. Like, let people know what to expect, and then they can make an informed choice. Like, I'm uncomfortable with drug use, so I don't want to be at a party where drug use is going to be uh, allowed or encouraged or whatever, just to, you know, give people clarity so they can make informed choices. Speaking I'm going to jump into them with my question because it goes right off that. So, as, is, is the host the one that's responsible for regulating? like rules like okay alcohol is okay but if it looks like you're too intoxicated i'm gonna put the hammer down or does the group in general or they're just prominent people within the, in that group that just always kind of plays mother father figure i would say that um if the host is not responsible for doing so the host is responsible for um figuring out who will and arranging it with them beforehand if you, if you are like okay i want to actually have fun and be really involved and stuff, uh, tonight. And so my, my friend who is also going to be here has agreed to kind of like keep an eye on things and be like the emergency contact for guests. If something goes wrong or someone has a question or needs something or has a question about somebody else's, um, alcohol intake, I will say that in a dungeon, it is extremely normal for there to be no alcohol, um, at conventions, um, they, like, I know one, one in particular, uh, you know, they'll serve, they'll serve alcohol, uh, for purchase during a, a mixer, but not in or around during anywhere near the dungeon space time. And, um, and if you even appear to be intoxicated, you are out of that dungeon space for the evening. Um, and that there's a couple of very good reasons for that, both on the top and bottom end of the, the BDSM dynamic, because as a top, you are going to, um, with alcohol use, you're going to lose some perception ability on um, how hard you are uh, using your implements on the person. You might lose your perception, um, your awareness of their reactions and, um, and a little and bit of your fine motor might suffer as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and on the bottom end, um, your pain reception is going to be altered 
uh, your inhibitions are going to be altered and um, even, even your willingness to speak up at, at, at a time that you normally would say, well, uh, I'm good here, yellow, whatever, might, might be different. And so alcohol use is, is generally very regulated. I think I, like people have in different situations have gone through some degree of vetting or something before they come to a party and either by just being part of a community, going through some agreements to be a part of that community, agreeing to certain rules about consent and communication, but then also going through those rules uh, at the beginning of the party, you know, regarding particularly consent and your ability to seek and give consent for certain things. And I, I will say that uh, forced intoxication is a kink. Um, I have seen it before in various forms of intoxication. But but going back to what I said earlier, maybe a play party is is not the place to practice that kink. Totally. It's yeah. Not the place. Yeah. And I think going over it in, in a welcome circle is really important saying like, hey, if 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 the host or whoever is regulated as the I want to say dungeon master, but that's not generally the terminology you use at a kink play party, but generally the host. And it doesn't have to be the person who owns that house or who is the owner of the space, but whoever is that designated host, if they have determined that you are too intoxicated to play or too intoxicated to give consent or receive good consent, they may ask you to leave, take a break, go have some coffee, you know, whatever, uh, depending on their comfort level too, that's usually, that's usually something that's said in a welcome circle happens a lot. Uh, now someone getting too drunk to give good consent might not happen a lot. That that's, I think similar to what we were saying about like theft at a party. Oftentimes people self-regulate and will be like, this is a cool space to be in. I don't want to be the uncool one here. You know, (laughs) like I should, but also when it comes to nerves, folks will sometimes overindulge because they're nervous. And so that's something to keep in mind too. People can have a lot of energy that they want because they feel so overwhelmed in a space that they want to quell and dampen by alcohol or drug use. And then just knowing the people involved and knowing like, oh, wow, they don't look like their normal self. Maybe I should speak to them or maybe I should coordinate somehow that they could get home safely you know, those are all things that you do have to consider as a host, for sure, or having someone there who you know can be like the dad, <laughs> the mom in the situation, and to be like, we need to get you home. We need to get some coffee and bread in you, you know? <laughs> and I suspect that in a lot of cases, because we are in a fairly tight-knit community, you know, if you see somebody who you know under those circumstances, you are likely to just step in and take that on, even if you wouldn't necessarily take it on for the entire party. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when you're going to a play party situation, maybe even a dungeon or kink space, you are planning to, or you may uh, encounter new partners. And how do you safely go about, say, asking to play with a new partner or, you know, preparing yourself or them for play with someone who you've never played with before? I would say that there, I mean, you can go online and find, you know, full questionnaires of um, things that are good to know about your top and bottom um, that you're going to play with. Histories, medical background, possible traumas and triggers. And obviously, you're not going to go through a whole questionnaire if someone says, oh, that's a cute flower. You want to... Hmm? <laughs> but it is a good idea to um, to cover a couple of basic things. Um, 
what should I say? Or this is what you should say if you are not having a good time and you want me to stop. Usually red, yellow, green is the, uh, the default uh, safe word. Uh, green is keep going. This is great. You can do more. Yellow is I, I'm good where we are. I don't need any more. You can keep going. But, you know, this intensity level is here. And red, red calls us an immediate stop to everything. And at that point, you know, it's, it's off. And we're going to talk about this, ideally. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, so you want to talk about how to uh, potentially end the scene. Um, you want to talk about, I'd say like two big things is just, you know, if you're, if you're looking to um, hit someone with your hand or an implement, um, ask them if they know of any triggers that they might have that they've experienced in the past and um, ask them if they know what they want. What are you hoping to have happen? What are you wanting to experience? And if they have no idea, oh, I don't know, it just looks like fun, proceed slowly proceeds very slowly. A good, a good thing that I like to do is, um, is tell them, all right, well, think about, you know, uh, one to five or one to 10, 10 being, you know, this is no longer enjoyable for me. And one being, yeah, that feels great. I love that. And, uh, I'm going to give you a little, you know, like test swat and you tell me what level that is for you. And that gives us a good, uh, starter idea. And yeah, I start pretty low because everyone has a different idea of what is enjoyable. And, um, and then just during whatever scene, even if it's just, you know, a little playful minute or two minutes, um, check in, check in, take breaks. Um, and especially if it's a very new partner or someone new to kink, um, be trying to just be as perceptive as possible and as, as careful as possible. I think also this is a great opportunity in the welcome circle where, you know, if there's going to be kink, uh, equipment around and you think, Hey, I've never tried this, but I'd like to like say, Hey, you know, hoping to experiment with this, please let me know if you'd like to help play too. I think it's great. If, if you're a top, I think it's a lot like Laura said is kind of knowing your basics. Like if, if you find that you're often being asked to demo or show someone something kind of, Maybe just have a basic, basic idea of like a starter scene thing that you can do and know the questions around that that you can ask to make it safer. Yeah, I think it's important to, you know, and, and, and I'll ask this pretty often, too, is, you know, what do you have a limit? Are there limits here? Because right? we don't want to I don't want to I don't want to come anywhere near the border of the limit. Or, or if I do, it's intentional. You know what I mean? And especially if you're playing with somebody new that you haven't played with before you probably don't want to come near that border. So, you know, playing with them and, and asking what that limit might be uh, and then going through a scene with somebody new too, uh, you know, just continually kind of asking for a consent. Is this good? Is this okay? Can I continue? Can I do this? Can I do that? Right. Uh, I think makes it a whole lot more comfortable for both the top and the bottom, because if you're getting positive reinforcement the whole time, yes, this is good, 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 good. You know, then obviously it's, you know, reinforces the scene and makes it a whole lot better. And like Laura said, just starting slow, I think most kinks have some gradation to it. Like there's usually whether it's impact play ropes or even like choking, you know, breath play or anything like that. You can, there's ways to start really slow. And I think I've always like with the impact play as a bottom, always had the top will try out slow and say, how is that? And can you, can I do harder? Was that too hard? 
you know, is that too soft? Because sometimes it's also a factor. And so then they just sort of gradually go up and like, how was the location? Like, is that good? And you just say like, oh, that was good, but that was not good. I prefer it here. I prefer it that way. Um, because sometimes you, as a bottom two, you're trying, you want to know what your limits are. You want to push them and see where it's going, but it really is. Yeah. Dep- what you're willing to do or want to do or comfortable doing is going to depend on your experience with that person or even the thing that you're exploring. <clears throat> yeah. But community, it's, it's all relatively easily solved with communication. It can sometimes be a little awkward, but it, prevents a lot of worse discomforts in the long run. And definitely if you have any kind of medical issue that could remotely possibly come into play, disclosing it up front, like whatever it might be, whether it's, you know, my, I, I, my elbow gets disjointed, you know, whatever, like, I mean, some very random thing that is not like a life-threatening health situation, but that might be, an issue under certain circumstances of this kind of body stress, like just disclose it. And especially because if you are new to kink or BDSM, uh, you may actually have no practical concept of where your boundaries are or what you enjoy yet. You have an idea of what looks exciting and what seems interesting, but you know, in, in situ, you just don't know yet. And it can be very different from what you fantasize or think about versus actually doing it, especially especially if your first time experiencing is at like a play party or something like that. That's that's a lot of new stuff to small bites. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) No, I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong, but, you know, small bites are more difficult to want in reality than. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Been there. <laughs> so something that I have written down at the bottom of my notes here, which I find funny, is just the word pervertibles. Uh, so if you are hosting a kink party at your home instead of a dungeon space and you don't have a St. Andrew's cross or a spanking bench or tons of expensive toys and furniture, do any of you have any advice for like making a, a quote unquote kink space without kink equipment? So I was actually... This doesn't completely answer the question, but I was going to say something earlier and had forgotten. Um, one one difference between uh, play parties and dungeons, I would say, is for a play party, make sure you're prepared to bring your own supplies. Um, dungeons are usually pretty good about having like condoms and lube and all that stuff. But if you're going to a play party, usually at someone's house or it's a smaller thing, just make sure you have your own stuff too. bringing backups of condoms for yourself or for others or lube towels, all of that. It's expect to not have all of the supplies you would like. And I've had, there's been times when, um, when you have the advantage of communication, somebody may say, Oh, I have a massage table, but I don't really have any oils. Like if anybody has some that you're willing to share, like might be a good idea to bring that, or I don't have a lot of, this is what I have to offer. I have the space. I have three beds, but that's pretty much what I have. So encourage people to bring things and let people know in advance if other people can use them and well, and a massage table isn't a kinky item, but it's often brought to play parties yep. and kink parties because it can be used as a kinky item or even a massage chair. I have a kneeling seat that I use as a spanking bench, like works the same. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say, you know, as far as pervertibles, kinky people are very creative, you know, <laughs> very resourceful. 
Um, so, you know, normal furniture can really be used for quite a bit. Um, you can, I mean, you can probably, well, probably, you can definitely look up lists of pervertibles, everyday household items that can be um, used. Some of it, like, um, get like a little paint stick, that's an easy little whacker, but um, you don't want, I mean, things that are wood, like even a ruler, um, you want to be careful because splinters, possible breakage. Um, you can use pieces of fabric or, or ties, like, you know, ties for restraints or blindfolds. Um, if you are going to use any sort of restraints, though, that are uh, fabric, make sure that you have um, ideally safety scissors, but scissors nearby um, so that if someone needs to be released quickly, you can do that. I mean... <sighs> A hand is really more punishing than just about anything. <laughs> and there are some kinks. Implements can be fun too. Yeah, there are some kinks revolving around stuff like a hairbrush, you know, being spanked mm-hmm. with something that is not meant yep. to be spanked with. I have a cutting board in, my, in our kink bag. I have a cutting board I got in a silent auction, but I've never used as a cutting board. <laughs> it's very stingy. Yeah, don't. I guess that's that's what I would say is not to be afraid to bring your own stuff. Like I see people walk into play parties or of course dungeons, but like play parties and stuff with duffel bags or with briefcases full of stuff. And yeah, why not? I mean, I see neon wands brought to parties all the time, violet wands or neon wands and violet wands, which honestly were created in the 1800s, were not created for sexual purposes. That has totally been perverted from, you know, kinky people because, I mean, my mom, who is a cosmetologist, beautician, owned a violet wand for hair growth and stimulation. She would like comb it through people's hair. I grew up with it around me. And then when I saw it at a party and saw it for sale at my job, I was like, what? That is not what that is for. What are you guys doing? You know, and so um, there are so many things in the kink community that were not meant for kink purposes and are now, I mean, the word Hitachi doesn't even mean the brand name anymore. That is fully a sex toy. Like they make cars and other shit and we're like, who cares? We don't, Hitachi is not a motorcycle. Hitachi is a sex toy. You know, like we have perverted it. I mean, it's kind of a motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, even like, you know, and additions on to established toys like now with the violet wand you can always bring or you pervertibles into the situation like with e-stimulation like banjo picks or anything that's metal (laughs) so like there's always supplemental pervertibles as well and it's fun that's what part of the draw is like how creative you can get is exciting I mean, you probably don't want to be at a play party and just be like, oh, hey, this host has a really cool cutting board. I'm going to see what damage I can do with it. <laughs> yes. But your consent, ask first. <laughs> hey, Fern, you have a very nice cutting board. Can I whap someone with it? <laughs> the answer might be no, but that's okay. Please wait till we're done with the cheese. <laughs> right, yeah, yes. Lindsay, you so. Do you have a tracing wheel? <laughs> yes, that's you. Although I've never used it like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, uh, Wartenberg wheel, the little wheel mm-hmm. with, uh, is very similar, right? Yeah. So, oh, and I've so. seen those used with violet wands. Oh, that's poor man's Wartenberg. Mm-hmm. They're so mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, so is there anything else 
I do have one more thing that I definitely want to bring up, but is there anything else that folks think we should talk about in relation to this? Cassidy, please, yeah. My question is clothing or dress at a play party versus a kink-friendly play party. I mean, do people come up all, you know, like all in their shit or is that weird? <laughs> Neither. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think um, like the costume, almost cosplay element of like dressing for a kink event is half the fun. So I think that coming dressed up at a party is, is it's totally based on each person. Obviously, like not everyone's going to own steel bone corsets and a latex catsuit. But if you have that, that's the space to go, you know, like get to uh, get to wear it. But, you know, I think that every party is going to be different. Some people are going to be in jeans and a t-shirt and some people won't allow jeans and a t-shirt also, you know. A lot of play parties I've been to will have like a theme. And I, I we people tend to like to do it up around a theme. Um I've definitely gone to a dungeon in full uh, satyr cosplay. It was a bad idea. It did not work <laughs> out very well, but I did it because I wanted to. But I, for play parties, I tend to just kind of knock it down a notch a bit. Uh, like, I'll still do the theme. I'll still dress up. I'll still have, like, fun and stuff. But I don't quite go as extra as I would at a dungeon. Um Less because of the crowd and more because, again, it's a more intimate setting and I like to be more comfortable. Like latex dresses and like steel bone corsets, all this kind of stuff, they're really fun. But when I'm at a play party, I tend to want to relax a bit more than when I'm at a dungeon. I think if you but just have a clear goal is it. that you want people to come and you want people to have a good time. So like if requiring... A lot of costuming some people may be really into that and some people may be like i don't have that so i can't go so if you just keep in mind like you want people to be there and you want them to have a good time and like what is going to make turn people off and what's going to make them feel invited and welcome and requiring like hard things one way or the other in general is going to exclude somebody and yeah. uh so if you say like no costumes we're going to look at you funny or if you say you must come in a costume like there's going to be some people that get shaved off the ends of that spectrum. My girlfriend had a brilliant plan, which, you know, I unfortunately didn't learn until the last play party before the pandemic that I was able to attend, which is like she often will show up in something really sexy, but not necessarily super comfortable for the beginning of the evening and then have sort of a loungewear next thing that she might wear in the intermediate stages of I'm taking a break from playing, but I'm going to plan to play again and then something very comfortable to wear home. Yeah, I was going to just say that I will often bring three outfits, you know, because I'm totally in the uh, category of I want to wear a corset and six inch heels, but that's going to last 25 minutes max, you know, and then I want to be wearing like maybe lingerie that's comfy and cute. And then I'm full on at the end of the night, pajama pants and a t-shirt like so I'll have a couple outfits. Is there anything else that we want to go over or like last closing advice for folks before we uh, wrap up. Yeah, I just would, I guess, re reiterate for me, play parties have been a really wonderful way to explore my own sexuality and my kink interest in a way that has been really positive. And I've learned a lot and it's exciting and it's fun. And 
you can, you know, I've messaged people that I saw doing a particular type of kink and ask them how they got into it, if they had any advice. And people are usually very generous with their knowledge because they're excited about it as well. So, um, yeah, I'd say that's one of the biggest benefits uh, to play parties is having the opportunity to learn from other people and learn about yourself. Uh, I think the last thing that I would add is just, you know, to be really vigilant about clear, explicit communication. Try not to make assumptions about what other people understand when you're referring to things in uh, the BDSM or kink lifestyle or community, because um, everyone is going to have different levels of different experiences. So to be as clear as you can, can again, like Kerry was saying, reduce discomfort, uh, reduce anxiety, and, and really make for a, a pleasant experience for everybody. Cool. Awesome. Thank you all so much for being here. This is a really great discussion. Super thanks. fun. Thank you all so much. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. including us. Thank, yeah. yeah. Thank, thank you very much. To see all of you yeah. again soon in real life. Yes. Oh, yeah. can't wait. That would be cool. <laughs> and that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.